quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, David Abrin. And the crowd goes mild. <laughs> Thank you so much. Nice. And, and that is a really good point is friction. And we've just built Calibot. And Calibot is 1,500,000 words of what I've said, written, and communicated in a bot that can now answer any question that I could answer based on what I know. But you're right. Some people will want to talk to me, a human being. Right. Well, what we call that, we call that an off-ramp. And so I, I'm approached often by organizations who do chatbots. And of course, bot stands for robot, right? Yeah. It's an electronic FAQ. But because it's AI, right. because the I, of course, is for intelligence, it gets better. It gets smarter. Uh, people yeah. don't really realize sometimes when they're asked to click on every picture that has a bicycle in it or click on everything that is a tree, what you're doing is helping their AI get smarter. So that mm -hmm. on your own phone, if you pull up your photos and you just type in passport or motorcycle, it'll find all of those things because it gets smarter. So the bots are great as long as there's an off-ramp to a real person, right? When right. we're on the phone going, real person, real person, agent, representative. Yeah. I think you said no, no, right? People yeah. laugh. I, I do a bit on stage when I speak to organizations, but but it, sh it shouldn't be... Um, it shouldn't be so familiar because we shouldn't have to yell at the phone to talk to a real person. We shouldn't have to type in agent and have the thing come back m multiple times. So the challenge for organizations, and of course, I think, of course, it's the opportunity as well, is what we call omni-channel, right? Omni-channel is no matter how somebody wants to do business with you, let them. No matter how somebody wants to communicate with you, let them. No matter how somebody wants to pay you. It can be Stripe or PayPal or credit card or transfer, but you're getting more and more organizations saying, we'll only accept this or this. It's maddening. And so that ridiculously easy part is, um, I love the idea of a bot, as long as there's an off-ramp to a real person for those who want that. But when you restrict your audience to only one way of doing business the way you want them to, you lose because there are choices and they will opt for another choice who doesn't make them do that. Absolutely brilliant because I was actually talking to the CaliCube team, Elisa, and we were trying to figure out how can we communicate with clients. And I said, we need to communicate with each client in the way that they feel most comfortable and the Absolutely. they feel most comfortable. And it turns out it was you who told me. Well, I appreciate that. It's, it's like I said, <laughs> a year and a half ago, you told me this. And it's, it's, it's my, my brain. Crusade. I just couldn't remember who. Yeah, no, it's, it's my it's my crusade. Here's what's interesting is I, I, I did a big um, customer experience conference in, in Bogota, Colombia, and they were talking about um, AI and chatbots, um, mm -hmm. but in a way that 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 bothered me because it's sort of like you're over. We know companies are overwhelmed. We know there's labor challenges. We can't necessarily hire so many people that we're no longer profitable to talk to everybody. But understand that AI bots, chatbots, and others are not so you don't have to talk to your customers. It's so that you have time to talk to the customers who need you. So that you have time. It's basically triaging the easy stuff that people can do on the app or something else so that your people have time to talk to either the people who are challenged with technology or the people who have questions that aren't frequently asked, 
right? Yeah. I, I joke with audiences because, you know, you look at the FAQ and the frequently asked questions. I, I don't know if it's just me, but I don't think I've ever had a frequently asked question. Maybe my questions are just bizarre, but it's, you know, it's like when you call and they say, please listen closely as our menu options have changed. And you're about to hear nine choices that have nothing to do with what you want, right? Huge Give them an right option to, to do those outliers. So the best use of bots is the, the, the routine, the easy kinds of things. Let the technology take care of it so that your people have time to really address either A, your most important customers who have that special access, or the things that are outliers, right? So once again, I mean, the, the main point is that technology is not so you don't have to talk to your customers. It's so that you have more time to talk to the ones who really need you. Right, which is why behind you I can see why customers leave, probably because they're not talking to me. I'm forcing right. them to talk to a bot. No, but they, leave, brilliant. they leave because they can, because there's choices. And if you annoy mm -hmm. them, they'll go somewhere else. Pretty simple. We'll come back to that. But before that, we're going to look at the brand SERP. And you said, I don't think my brand SERP is up to much. That's genius. That's a wonderful brand SERP. Is Knowledge it? Okay, good. Cards. Thank you. Um, you look great. You've got the right photos, the photos you want, I would imagine. You've got videos. You've got books, filter pills. Uh, you're ranking number one at the top. Uh, absolutely nothing to criticize there. So you Very good to nothing. know. <laughs> and talking about bots, this is what Bing chat says about you. And that's huge. Bing and generative AI in Google need to understand who you are, what you're doing, which audience you serve. And this clearly demonstrates that Bing does. So your yeah. communication online is clear, it's consistent, and these machines get you. And that means that search engines, when we look at Google back here, and answer engines, which is what Bing are building, can represent you to your audience in the way you want. So David, you've done an amazing job and you didn't even know it. That. Thank you. Well, here, well, here's a question for you. I'll, I'll interview you for a second. Um, <laughs> oh no. For, well, for, I learned something about that Amazon Alexa, everybody thinks that searches Google. It doesn't, it's Bing, right? So mm. Bing is important as well because when you ask Amazon or Alexa, I don't wanna say it out loud because she's gonna come to life next to me here, um, is they're, they're searching Bing. And so, my question, when you see something um, like my page, and we're very intentional in our language, and we have you know multiple pages and landing pages and all of that as well, to what would you attribute um, my successful page that you were able to find the information? What did I do right? Exactly what you just said. You're very intentional about what you're explaining, how you present yourself, and your message is clear, and it's consistent across the internet. So you say it on your website, it's clear, and it's um, representative of what you want to be said, and then around the web, you've made sure that there's corroboration on third-party trusted sources that confirms that what you're saying is agreed upon and accepted by the rest of the internet. So. We've just explained in less than a minute how to manage your knowledge panel, your representation in Bing chat and Google's generative AI. And what I don't understand is why so many people still struggle to figure out that that's what they need to do when it takes a minute to explain. You know, I, I'm with you on that. I, I think what's really interesting is how many people um, are not really cognizant of where they are present online. Mm -hmm. 
what's been said about them. Now, certain retail businesses and others are, are good at monitoring if there's negative comments and working hard to respond to those very quickly, that kind of a thing yeah. as well. But, you know, most businesses are not retail businesses. Most businesses are not restaurants or, or stores at the mall, right? Those are the very visible ones. But the other ones, what others are saying about them, what they say about themselves, or the ones who don't revisit their content on mm-hmm. a regular basis, or, uh, or some, I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest, we sometimes fall short as well. And I found through another source that somebody had us listed and every bit of information on their site was over 10 years old. Even in the one you showed was an old picture of me from over 10 years ago. So the other thing we tried, but you haven't changed at all. No, I know it just a little, little but I have all this great footage of me speaking like from 10, I can't use any of it because my beard was black and now it's all white. Right. And, you know, it's, it's not me, but we're very intentional in terms of uploading new content on a regular basis. We're rewriting those homepages, new, um, very current pictures, current videos of, right. of my speaking and much of the speaking content that I had pre pandemic, I think is still wise, but it's not really current. Right. And so we're making sure that all of our current content is very reflective of what today we're doing Instagram reels on a regular basis. We're uploading new headshots when we get them so that there's a constant um, stream of relevant current content. And and that's a brilliant point because it's a point I try to make is Google wants to represent you to your audience as your audience needs to see you today. And it's up to you to make sure that that content is available. And the, the question about the, the beard is really interesting because some people try to promote photos of themselves 20 years ago. Yeah. And Google is actively looking to represent you as you are today. So wow. age I, didn't, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Oh, right. Well, my idea of age denial is let's let's put me up without the beard and looking incredibly young. Google is trying to avoid that because it doesn't make sense. And Google knows how old something is, right? If anybody knows, Google knows. You know, it's it's funny when I when I speak and that's what I do for a living. I I speak at conferences and I consult the amount of people who who come who say to me and it's probably because it's not always this case, you actually look like your pictures. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have colleagues, it's like, yeah, this was my picture in 1972 that, that you know what, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm aging gracefully, but I'm aging publicly, we'll put it that way. <laughs> Which is the lifeline. I think kind of that's incredibly important. You've also said that you've switched your focus and Again. communicating that to Google <laughs> is hugely important because you need Google to represent what you're doing today and not what you were doing five years ago. How did you go about that? Well, it's also scary, Jason, I'll tell you, because when you've developed um, pretty high SEO based on messaging and titles and mm. keywords, and you make a you make a decision to switch the focus of your business, the focus of your content, you are accepting the fact that in some ways you're starting over. And much of that content that ranks really mm. high no longer represents what I do. For the, for the first 15 years of my career, of my speaking career, um, I talked marketing and branding. I helped organizations craft better words right. to describe, more persuasive words from a career, 30-year career in, in marketing. Um, and I came to recognize in recent years, as we all need to do to stay relevant, there's a big word right there, relevance. Right. Is and it's the biggest fear for somebody who consults and speaks like I do. I mean, you can have something that was it was really hot ten years ago, but the marketplace has moved on, and it wasn't me chasing the flavor of the day. It was recognizing that the world had changed, and that what we said about ourselves, while certainly important, 
was it was quickly becoming um, apparent that what other people say about us is more important. Now it's the social proof, right? It's Yelp and TripAdvisor, right. and Tomatoes and social media. What were the behaviors that were driving this? So that was the research behind my book, Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back. And so I made a, a strategic decision, a scary decision to change the focus of my content to stay relevant to my audiences, new research, right. new content, fresh keynotes, right? New humor. But I realized that my online reputation was... I was going to have to take a step back before I walked down another road, right? I kind of looked at it as a fork mm -hmm. in the road. I'm on one road, I look to the left, I need to be on that road. You can't just switch across. You got to go back a little bit and then make the turn down the other mm -hmm. one. And so once again, we were very intentional about our content, about our keywords, about our landing pages. And we knew it would take a matter of months, if not years, to rank, mm -hmm. to build ourselves back up. Um, but, it, but it has worked very successfully. No, no, yeah, I love the analogy of the fork in the road and actually walking backwards be, to be able to take the other one rather than try to jump across, Absolutely. being intentional about it. And I think a lot of us fail to take that step back, be it physically on the road before we take the fork, or even just say, well, what am I trying to say? What am I trying to communicate? And how can I communicate it in a way that my audience understands and it resonates with them, but also that Google can represent it? And you were talking about third-party content. What others say about us? Can you expand right. on that? Well, I, I, we look at it today that um, it goes back to a sort of a broad concept, which is there's, a, and there was a study about this. It was probably 30 years ago. And it said that the conclusion was there's a mistaken belief that everybody's looking to make the best decision possible, purchasing and hiring and contracting, a mistaken belief that we're trying to make the best decision. And the reality is we're trying to avoid making a bad decision. <laughs> but, it, but it doesn't mean that we don't want to make, I mean, don't misunderstand. We want to make the best decision. We just don't know what it is because everybody tells us they're great. So when we can't tell between five different plumbers because they all have good logos and good, right? We think to ourselves, what's the ramifications of underperformance? What, what's the cost of screwing this up? And so what we do is we go online. As you talk about with the brand SERP, we look them up. We look at that page. Are they credible? Do they have reviews? Does the preponderance of the evidence say they are a yep. safe choice for us? That's why the SERP, the things that you do is so important because everybody looks everybody up. It doesn't matter if there's a federal or a local law that you can't look up employees before you hire everybody does it. Hmm. Everybody looks you up on social media. My wife and I, between the two of us, we've got five kids who are no longer kids. They're all in their twenties. And I tell them as they enter the workforce, they, as they, as they graduate university, scrub your social media because wow. potential employers are going to look it up. I know you had a great time on spring break. I know you, you were, you were drunk and with your friends and you have the right to be a kid. You have the right to have fun, but you don't want the world to see that. And so when I'm talking about social proof, which has become mm. very important. That's why it's more, this is more important, this conversation than it ever has been because everybody looks everybody up. And so we want to make a safe choice. And the safe choice is the, is the organizations who have a lot of positive reviews, who mm. have great before and after pictures, who look really professional and are easy to get a hold of. I mean, all of those right. things is more important than their slogan. It's more important than they say, you know, for us, it's, you know, anybody in food service, right? For us, we start with the freshest ingredients. Hmm. Give me a break. You're serving food. What's the alternative, right? Expired <laughs> ingredients that a discount. You know yeah. what we really look up 
is what do other people say about the restaurant? Right. Right. And, and if they have 200 three star reviews, I'm not going to waste my time. Exactly. And Google is looking at exactly the same information, right. but at scale. And it's aggregating it to understand, are you a credible solution for the subset of its users who are your audience? So that credibility, that reputation is hugely important. And being clear, which is what you have been, about who you are, what you do, and which audience you serve is the foundation of Google's understanding of you. You are listening to Branded Search and Beyond with Jason Barnard. Now, back to the show. But we've already got to halfway through, well over halfway through, and we still haven't talked about how to make it ridiculously easy for people to do business with Jason Barnard and Callie Cube. Sure. Well, I think we get a lot of clues from the organizations and the interactions that frustrate us. If you're frustrated by it, I guarantee your customers are going to be frustrated if you exhibit the same things and some basic things. Um, don't make it hard to get a hold of you, right? Don't over-survey the things that are, pardon my language, a pain in the ass, um, the things that take us extra time. Uh, I'll give an example. I was I was driving through one of our, our fast food places. I'm, I'm here in Denver, Colorado, here in America. And it was towards the end of breakfast and they had like two sandwiches for, for $2 or something like that. Mm. And I went up to the drive-thru, nobody else was in line. I said, I'd like to do that special deal. And they said, no, you have to do it through the app. And I went, okay, but I'm, I'm already here. Can you just do it? And they said, no, we can't do it unless you have the app. And I went, well, I don't have it. And they said, well, you can pull out of the drive-thru and park and download the app. And I said, well, thank you for that permission. So, I mean, it's a 16-year-old kid. You know, it's they didn't develop the policy. So I, yeah, I, sure. I teach this. So I thought, let's try it. So let's see what happens. So I pull over. I have, uh, I, I have to well, download the app and find a good signal. And then I had to type in my own information. I'm old, so I had to find my reading glasses. And then they needed my credit card information. So I pull out my wallet and I have to type in all of the uh, of the numbers and make sure those are correct. And then, um, and then I had to connect it so they knew what location I was in. And then I had to okay it for them to be able to um, track my location so that it, it could give it. By the time I got done with that, it was already past breakfast, um, five minutes, but they, and I went in the, in the line just to see if they, and they, they were nice and they actually still did it. But the fact that I had to go through all of that, in many cases, you just wouldn't. I actually found a great picture in the UK. Here's another great example. It was a picture of a vending machine that had um, drinks and snacks and chips and things like that. And what was interesting about the picture was it was at a train station in the UK, but there was no keypad to type in your information. It was a QR code. And so what you had to do is you had to scan the QR code. Wow. Once again, enter your information, um, your credit card and everything else, because I know why they want it, right? Because they want to be able yeah. to have us and we're connected. Now they can market to us. And then you had to sync it with the machine, choose what number, and then it would download the thing. Well, what was interesting about the picture was that the machine was completely full. You know why? Because it's a train station. People are in a hurry. Nobody has time. To, you know what they have time to do? They have time to tap their credit card on the thing. They have time to tap their phone and make an easy purchase. They added friction to a process that didn't need it. It was, I call this a solution looking for a problem. And they were very excited that they could do things. Now we can capture people's information. We can do a QR code. But what worked for them doesn't work for us. A failed idea that somebody bought into, and then the train station said, yeah, you can put your machines here. But what they did was made it more difficult for us to buy snacks. 
It's the opposite. So when I talk about being ridiculously easy for organizations, look at your own process, walk the path, but pretend you don't know how to do it. Right. You go to you go to a website that's very complicated and you say, I couldn't find your number. Oh, it's really easy. Just go to the top. It's the third one over. Click that. It's a drop down second from the bottom. I'm like, I don't work here. But it's hugely difficult. Once again, taking that step back and saying, I can't see my own website from somebody else's point of view. So that simplicity that sure. I see is not for them. How do you overcome that? Because I don't have that self-awareness to understand that my process is too complicated. Well, first, the first thing is, is to recognize that you may have a problem, right? Oh, right. Okay. A, I've got a problem. And, right. And take a step back or have somebody else. But you have to do this on a regular basis. Think about all the other industries, because for the first time ever, Jason, we're being compared against industries that have nothing to do with what we do, right? Oh, right. So people say, I mean, we're being compared against Amazon, and we're being compared against Uber, and we're being compared against, right? Because you can track that information. You can see exactly where the driver is. You can see what they look like, what their license plate number is. You can see what turn they're about to make, right? It's an easy yes, because I don't have to wonder. Well, now other businesses are being expected to do the same thing. We're being expected to deploy technologies that allow us to do whatever we want to do, not from home, from anywhere. That's being ridiculously easy. But the things that we're seeing organizations being sold on ideas or technologies that make their life easier, but make it more difficult for their customers. And it's a bad strategy. That's a really good point. Um, the example on the train station, I will remember that for the next two years and probably tell you in two years. Time. Somebody told me about the train station thing, but it is the company thinking, how can I save myself effort, money, time, resources, and forget that I'm putting friction in that? Right. And but what's, what's interesting oh, is it's, it's the right question to ask, right? We have to ask, how can we save time, money? How can we be more efficient? That's the bean counter. That's the 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 financial person, Right. But when those decisions are made, the marketing person or the customer experience person needs to be in the room as well, because we call mm. it it's the law of diminishing return. We can save and save and save. And at what point are your customers, customers can be so frustrated by everything that they've lost that they go somewhere else? 100%. I wanted to move to a question we were talking about before, sure. and it's not customers and me selling anything. It's the onboarding process for this podcast. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that it was both great and slightly frictional in the sense that we're not as easy to do business with in terms of getting you on the podcast as we could be. Could you explain that? Yeah. Well, and to be fair, I think actually you do a great job. Um, what, what What's interesting from a guest perspective, and we because we had this private conversation before, is I have my own podcast, the Why Customers yeah. Lead podcast, but I'm also a guest on many others as well. And some will just invite me and say, we'd love to have you on the podcast. Here's the link. Here's the time. But it's stunning to me how many people, they say, we'd love to have you on our podcast and talk about your books or whatever else. And then we say yes. And then I get an eight-page form I have to fill out. I'm like, when did I get homework to be on your podcast right now? You do not fall in that category. I want to clarify because I think your team does a phenomenal job. But I'm like, I have to write sample questions. I have to give them my bio. And I'm like, it's your podcast. Just look me up, right? You do prep for your oh. podcast. I'll do prep for mine, right? But most, and, and Jason, I'll tell you, most of the podcasts I'm invited give me work to do before I'm on their podcast. I'm not here to promote anything. I'm just here to further the conversation. 
What, what was interesting about your prep sheet, and I really liked it actually, was you have one of the most intentional podcasts. You have certain segments. You sing your little song at the beginning. We're going we're gonna <laughs> to pass the baton to the next guest. And there's a real structure to it that you do a lot of prep. But in doing so, um, I get an email that says, here's all the things that are going to happen. You're going to hand the baton to the next guest. Here's a link to look that person up so you know something to say. Um, does it add a little friction? Probably yes. yes, but I think it's worth it. But it's worth well, it. I, I, I want to give you. I want to give you credit. There is. Yeah. We both want this to be a great podcast, and yeah. for those who are listening or watching, we hope that it is. But it's because <laughs> because prep was done, right? We didn't just pull right. this out of our backside. So I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just no. unusual, and happy to put in a little extra time to make sure that it's great for both of us. Right? No, 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 hundred percent. I mean, I I don't think you're criticizing us, and I think. We both agree, Maria and Marianne behind the scenes do an immensely good job. Um, but what I do now realize is that you were saying homework, and what we need to do is make it clear that our intention is to make sure that we don't catch you out in a situation where you're uncomfortable because you don't know what's happening. Love it. And, and, and it's basically you, saying, this is opt-out. If you put it at the top, you don't actually have to do this if you don't want to. We just want to make sure that you have the information. But but that's actually a, a marvelous way of, of really exhibiting great customer experience because what you're doing is you're managing expectations. I'll give an example. When people know what's going to transpire, they're not filling that void with, with dire oh. scenarios, right? Here, here's an example. When you call a company and says, we're experiencing an unexpectedly high volume of calls. First of all, that's a lie. Whenever yeah. you hear that, we're experiencing it. They know exactly when their high volume comes. So that's not truthful. But they'll say... Um, Please, please wait, and your call will be answered in the order it was received. That's terrible because I have no idea how long. And then I get a recording every 45 seconds that says your call is very important. Please continue to hold. I don't know if and I'm then you're saying on. it's not important because you're right, right. I don't know if I'm going to be on for an hour or I'm going to be on for 20 minutes. But here's the new advancement. This is the customer-centric new approach, which is managing expectations. Um, we're experiencing unexpectedly high volume calls. Your expected wait time is seven minutes. Now if I didn't know how long, seven minutes would be a long time, right? Because I, every time I hear it, I don't know, is it going to be another one? Now I'm wasting my time. I need to I need to yeah. go to the, the restroom or what. But if I know it's going to be seven minutes, I'm good. I'll just do a little bit of work. I'll put it on speakerphone. Yeah, right? exactly. So what I think what your team does very well is, is it manage, they manage expectations. Here's the way things are going to go. And I like the idea of adding a little bit of verbiage that says, so you never feel unprepared. Um mm -hmm. We're going to tell you everything else. Here's where you, places to click so that everything goes smoothly for everyone. Absolutely. No, I mean, I, I, I didn't think you were criticizing. What I wanted to do was bring to the fore that we yeah. worked very hard on this, and yet we were still creating friction where we were actually trying to do the opposite. And just that piece of wording that you mentioned. But it's, but it's a good, it's a good lesson. Yeah, it's a good message for your audience as well, is look at your own process with all the new things maybe you've implemented or maybe mm -hmm. things that you've taken away because of, of the pandemic, um, is life a little bit more difficult? Uh, one of the big challenges we have in America, and I, I saw a little bit in the UK as well, is you go to restaurants today and most of them don't have menus in right, America. They, yeah. have, they have a QR code. And they just said, just, just scan it with your phone. I said, I'd, I'd rather not. Um, my yeah. eyes aren't particularly good. Do you have an actual menu? And it's stunning to me how many people say, we don't we don't have menus. You have to do it through there. I don't have to do it anyway. Um, how much of your audience is over 50 years old who need glasses or reading glasses? Um, 
but at it's, least more, one. That's yeah, it's more convenient for them because now they can update their menu. I understand why they yeah. do it, but, but they've, they've added friction. Now it's harder for us to order food and to select everything mm. in a way that's easier for them, but it's harder for their customers. It's a bad choice. It's one of those interesting industries where the customer experience in many cases for restaurants has gotten better because now there's multiple, you can have it delivered, you can do pickup, right. you can, but the customer service is worse. Right. Interesting. Wow. No, it is. It's hugely interesting. And that's a really delightful way to end it because it's such a, um, a unique situation created by a unique period in time in history. Right, that none Thank of us had so a script much. for. Excuse me? I said that none of us had a script for. You know, we were all feeling no, our exactly. way through the pandemic, right? A hundred percent. That was absolutely brilliant. David, thank you so much. Last question is, yes, how does making it easy for other people to do business with me help with branded search? Well, or vice it, it, versa? absolutely. Well, in a couple of ways. Number one is you look at every aspect of your business. It also makes it ridiculously easy to find you ridiculously right. easy to find out about you ridiculously mm -hmm. easy to order from you. And so that's part of it. But the other part is that when you are preferable, not just competent, but preferable, other people talk about you. Other mm. people say great things. Most people have, you know, they're a, a fine experience and, you know, reviews are tended to be skewed negative because those are people who have a more emotional impact. Right. But when you are great to do business with and you make it super, they're much more likely to talk about you to others, to leave reviews on online. And that all reflects into your into your exposure online and exposure for the right reasons and not the wrong ones. Brilliant. That was absolutely delightful. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, my now, friend. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. If you're listening to Branded Search and Beyond with Jason Bernard and David Avrin. And we're going to pass the baton to Perna Virgi, one of the most delightful, smart, and wonderful people I know in the entire world who's going to talk about how to align your content and business goals. She's super smart. I love talking to her, and she always has amazing insights and great advice that we can practically and pragmatically put into place. Could you possibly pass the virtual baton, David? I would love, <clears throat> excuse me, I would love to pass the baton to Perna Virji. She is the uh, LinkedIn principal evangelist. She used to work at Microsoft. So she's brilliant. She has credibility and she is the author of the phenomenal new book, High Impact Content Marketing, Creating Meaningful Engagement, Drive Conversion Rates and Boost Customer Retention with this crucial resource to unlocking the true potential of your content marketing strategy. She is an author. She has strategy. She is brilliant and she is... Um, she is doing her work with one of the biggest engagement companies in the world, so she knows her stuff. So I'm happy to pass the baton on to the amazing Purna Virji. Thank you so much. That feels like a woohoo moment. That was so fun. Thank you so much, yeah. David. Thank you, everyone, for watching. We'll see you next week with Purna. And don't forget, every week, Tuesdays, CaliCube Tuesdays, as the name suggests, and branded search and beyond with Jason Barnard, which is the podcast.
Bye-bye, David. Thank you. Oh, a quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, David. Thank you, friend. CaliCube. It's all about your brand, Serp.